thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC is heading into their very last fight card of the year. UFC Vegas 17, Wonderboy Thompson versus Jeff Hansa Steel Neal. We're going to be breaking down that fight as well as two other of the fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will be particularly profitable this upcoming weekend. Plus, we'll be talking to two of the fighters on that fight card. First, I'm going to talk to Alex Morano as he gets ready for his fight with Anthony Showtime Pettis. It's an exciting bout that not a lot of people saw coming, Morano included. So we'll tell you a little bit about that. Then I'm talking with Rick the Gladiator Glenn, and we discuss his two-year layoff, and he tells a great story about his amateur debut where he leaves his shift at Target to go punch somebody's brains out. So I highly suggest checking out both those interviews. But before I do, I need to let you know that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by ProPace Sports Metrics. From the creator of the Grapple App Jiu-Jitsu game, which by the way you should also download, ProPace Sports Metrics is a new Android app designed to measure and drive the performance of your athletics, especially when it comes to striking in MMA because their flagship feature, the Striking Clinic, uses your phone's mic to detect kicks and punches, which helps you drive up your work rate through a series of beeping that you can speed up and slow down so that it, you know, caters to your individual level. And at the end, you know, it's it's ProPay Sports Metrics. They're giving you all the metrics. You can get graphs and charts that you can either use for your own or you can share on Facebook to brag with your friends or on Twitter to brag with your friends. Check out all the cool features right now. ProPay Sports Metrics in the Android store. ProPay Sports Metrics brings you this episode. Top Journal MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me today is Alex Morano, who fights Anthony Pettis at UFC Vegas 17. So, Alex, I, I want to get right into talking about that matchup because Anthony Pettis is a guy whose name pops up at the end of everybody's tongue. He's a former champion. He's a guy who knocked out Wonder Boy, who's a you know a top five or a top ten guy in your division. What what was your reaction when the UFC called you and said, "Hey, you're fighting Anthony Pettis next"? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I was, like, surprised and, uh, and confused and deleted. And, you know, and that's one of those things, like, I wouldn't say starstruck by any, by any means because I've been in the mix a long time and, I've, you know, I've gotten some big fights and some good offers. But it was just, like, a little surreal, mostly in terms of, like, skipping through the rankings. So, you know, I accept the fight, but I'm unsure if Pettis is already accepted and I'm unsure exactly when the UFC wanted to book it. I mean, they told me it'd be on the 19th. But, like, you know, there's a lot of uncertainties before like the contract is signed but then like within 20 minutes the fight was announced on espn so like i had like a few minutes to kind of be in that kind of like surreal state but, like once it was announced i was like cool this man is now my enemy and this is like you know serious and i'm in fight camp and it's time to get to work and that was last tuesday so i'm one week and two days in every single day i have worked to you know my my my, my nails to the bone and, uh, and man, I'm excited. I have like two more hard days, Friday and Saturday. 
rest on Sunday, fight week next week, man. I'm ready to rock and roll. Very excited. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned not necessarily starstruck. That's that's obviously not the right word. But before you were even in the UFC, this guy is a champion, right? Like you're fighting on the regional circuit in Texas. And this guy holds a UFC belt at that time. Were you a fan of his at that time? Did, did you follow along and, and sort of his his journey? And, and, you know, he was on the cover of a Wheaties box, for Christ's sakes. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember I was I, I had to look up the date, but I was 20 years old watching WEC and I watched I remember watching that Showtime kick live. and was like, oh, my God, that's the coolest. You know, then, then he got to the UFC. And I remember being really excited for it. And I watched his debut against Clay Guida and Clay Guida won the decision. And, you know, it kind of took some steam away, but whatever. He ended up getting the belt after that. You know, I watched him sub out Benson Henderson. I actually use his armbar grip to counteract Benson's figure four defense when I teach jiu-jitsu classes. I, uh, I was rooting for him when he fought Gill, and, uh, and, and he hit that guillotine. And I was also a big fan of RDA. So when he fought RDA and lost the belt, it was kind of like a win-win for me as a fan. And then uh, when he fought Chiesa, I was rooting for Pettis when he fought Chiesa. I mean, so yeah, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for the man, especially as a striker. I can really appreciate what he's been able to accomplish. And, uh, and you know, a lot of the guys that I have fought and, uh, and, and will fight, I have respect for, but that doesn't change the fact of the mindset when I do end up fighting these guys. Like, I'll have respect before, and I'll have respect after. But during the training camp, during the fight, I mean, they are, they are my, my, my number one enemy. And, uh, and my goal is to do 15 minutes worth of excessive damage. Love it. Now, you mentioned in there his striking, but I actually want to talk about the opposite side. I want to talk about the grappling. You're obviously a very highly touted grappler. You've got a you know a second degree black belt in jujitsu. You're fighting a guy who who while he's known for his striking does have quite a few submissions on his record. Do you see the fight sort of taking place in those regards that you know grappling for grappling, or do, do you see this as being somewhere where you can stand with him and trade blows? Yeah, you know, what I was actually just looking, you know, I, I, I'm on Tapology every day, and I was looking at his uh, record. He's actually got more submissions victories than knockouts, which is interesting because he's a striker. Another fun fact, I have more submission victories than knockouts, and I fancy myself a striker. So one thing I'm not doing with this fight is I'm not limiting the potential. You know, like sometimes, like a, a good example, when I fought Jordan Mean, you know, he was a kickboxer. I thought all we would do in that fight was kickbox, and, and he wrestled heavy. And like, one, I didn't see it coming, two... I didn't really want to grapple in that fight because I wanted the glory of a kickboxing match. So I learned a very important lesson off of that loss. Where I got kind of like, you know, ridden out, not even really trying to defend much, foolishly. But, uh, but no, I mean, if this fight takes place at range on the feet, great. Takes place close quarters on the feet, awesome. In the clinch, on the ground, I would not be surprised if, uh, if Pettis actually initiates some wrestling exchanges. So this is one of those fights where I'm kind of prepared for everything and expecting nothing, you know, naturally with, with being more cautious than normal, not to get hit with any flashy jazzy strikes. Absolutely. Now I got to ask you in the, the lead up to this fight, you're obviously getting ready alongside of some teammates who are also getting ready for fights, you know, most notably and most obviously the headliner of the card, right? Jeff Neal is fighting Stephen Wonderboy Thompson headlining the card that you're on and you're kicking off the main card on, on ESPN plus what is it sort of like with you two who've been training together for a little while now being able to have him headlining you want a main card against Anthony Pettis what what is sort of the feeling been like around Fortis yeah man it's awesome uh you know coach always motivates us with uh with with the lessons and speeches he gives 
anytime you're fighting on a card with teammates, you know, it's easy to feed off each other's energy. You know, I, I trained very heavily with Jeff, you know, earlier this week, and we must have done, I don't know, seven or eight rounds with each other. You know, I was trying to be Wonder Boy. He was trying to be Pettis. You know, it's just good high-level work all around. And uh, it, it's funny, you know, after I fought recently, he, I was, like, pretty healthy. And, I, you know, again, on Tapology one day, and I was looking at the rest of the fight cards for the UFC. And, man, this December 19th fight card is just stacked. We lost a couple fights, but it's still stacked. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, man, it'd be cool if I could get on this fight card. And I was looking at some of the welterweight matchups, and I was like, you know, maybe this guy will drop off, maybe this or that. But I was like, nah, it's just wishful thinking. And then when they lost the main event, they were looking to book another another high-level match. And sure enough, they chose Pettis. And then I was uh, I was chosen as his potential opponent, and, and it worked out. So, you know, it was it was like it was like a wishful thinking kind of dream that ended up coming true that I did not expect whatsoever. Man, it was, it was awesome. This card is great. I, I love it. Now I'm so happy also that you mentioned Safe Side because I've interviewed probably a dozen guys who fight out of Fortis MMA, including like the aforementioned Jeff Neal, you know, and, and a bunch of the guys that you guys got down there. And I love hearing stories about Saves Odd because the guy is kind of an enigma. He He's not in the public eye too much, but at the same time, he's churning out guy after guy after guy in the UFC and, and girl after girl in the UFC too. You guys got quite a few women in the UFC as well. I was wondering, my favorite part of Safe Saad's stories is the in-between round advice. Do you have a moment <laughs> that you can remember uh, of Safe Saad in-between round advice that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, so uh, when I fought Max Griffin, uh, that was uh, October of last year in Tampa. It was a good fight. And in the second round, I had landed a head kick and I dropped him. And I flurried hard trying to finish. Max Griffin has a chin on him, let me tell you what. But the uh, the, the round ended... And, you know, I, I spent quite a bit of my gas in my tank trying to finish. So we go back to the corner, and I sit down, and I'm, like, breathing pretty hard. And coach is like, hey, we do not get tired winning fights. And, uh, and, and, and that was always really funny. And then also recently when I fought Reese McKee, going into the third round, much like the Griffin fight, thankfully I wasn't tired this time. But coach was like, Morono, this kid is in good shape, and he is very tough. He's got a very good chin. He's like, stop trying to knock him out. He was like, be technical throw more volume and you know and, and if and if like different positions are there take them like takedowns and stuff so he's just very self-aware he's very cerebral and he's very smart so one thing about coach safe is this must have been three plus years ago when i first you know made the trip from houston to dallas to train at fortis for the week i had really studied his behavior and interaction between the fighters and even like with the ufc and I had just seen how experienced and professional and intelligent he was. And I told myself, I was, like, I was like, if I don't allow him to hold the reins of my career in terms of matchmaking and even managing and coaching, I would be making a dire mistake. And one thing I've always been proud of, you know, as a, as a human, as a business owner, as a coach, is I always could identify strong allies. And Coach Saints presents so many beneficial aspects as a leader and a mentor but I was really happy to kind of like, you know, you know, give him my sword and, and, and really kind of commit to, to being part of the team and, and, and trusting him to, uh, to guide me to these, these higher level fights. Well, and it clearly got you right where you wanted to go to, because here you are fighting Anthony Pettis, UFC Vegas 17. Before I let you go, I got to get a prediction from you. How do you see this one ending at the end of the day? You know, that's, that's always a tricky question. Um, you know, it, it's weird if guys say something that doesn't happen, it puts a stigma on it. I've been giving the same answer to every interviewer since I was an amateur. And 
I want to win every fight by knockout. A knockout is a gold medal, a submission is a silver medal, and a decision is a bronze medal. Best case scenario every fight, I'm going to be looking for that knockout. Uh, and then again, if that doesn't happen, my primary goal is to, again, do as much damage as I possibly can within the 15 minutes. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Alex Morano, who fights Anthony Pettis at UFC Vegas 17. Alex, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Cool. Yes, thank you. And that interview with Alex Morano is brought to you by Respect the Tap. RespectTheTap.com. They are a passionate company about BJJ and combat sports, and their apparel reflects that passion. But they're not just passionate about the sports. They're also passionate about design and style as well. They're a fashion-forward MMA and BJJ lifestyle brand that sort of bucks the trends of those you know, old-school ones that you expect with the, the skulls and dragons all over everything. Instead, they embody the honor and inner strength and respect that you know is inherent in martial arts. They bring that in with the style. Right now, I'm currently rocking one of their signature snapbacks. It's very sharp, not too flashy, but like with a little pop of color in it. You can get them with like pink on the brim or stuff like that. And they've got lots of different options. So if the pop of color is not for you, check out all they got at respectthetap.com. And joining me now is Rick Glenn, who fights Carlton Minus at UFC Vegas 17. So Rick, I obviously want to talk to you about the, you know, the elephant in the room here. It's been two years since we've seen you in the UFC where you fought at the Ultimate Fighter 28 finale. All the way back in November of 2018, give us a little bit of an update on what you've been up to and, and what's kept you out of the cage for so long. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, kind of went off the grid a little bit, I guess. Uh, <laughs> had uh, Actually had hip surgery shortly after my last fight, so it's been just over two or a year and a half now, so I got my hip fixed. Um, it was a long, nagging injury and, uh, you know, recovery for that took a while and um i was actually planning on getting trying to get back in sooner and then i actually had a, a mcl tear my knee and uh, other things going on but I'm, I'm geared up and ready to get back in there now wow so so that is a, a number of different things and, and i'm assuming the mcl also required surgery no that one doesn't luckily um it was just a partial tear and they don't usually do surgeries on those ones so I was a little nervous. They thought maybe it was the LCL or the ACL. And uh, so I was kind of, you know, a little nervous there for a minute. But thank God it was just the MCL, no surgery. Well, yeah, I mean, no surgery, but still thank God that, you know, you have a, a terrible tear in your knee. Um, but so I got, I got to ask, so you, you've got this two years out, both of these, you know, huge nagging injuries. Well, you've had a long career. You've been fighting professionally since 2016. And, and I mean, you've got 45 pro fights. What was the real driving force keeping you going through all of that huge layoff? Yeah, so, you know, starting off in early 2006, um, you know, I, I had some fights in high school where I was even, you know, legally even able to. But, um, you know, I'm not done. I know there's a lot more I could do. Um, there's always you know, there's, there's more I could do. I know where I stand in the rooms. Um, and I've competed and trained with world champions, former world champions in all different disciplines. And I know where I stand. And I, I think I could do a lot more. And, you know, unfortunately I was, uh, working through a really bad hip, hip injury for, for quite a while. And, and some other nagging injuries, I just grinded through 
and I'm looking forward to put on a better performance and, and not having to kill myself cutting weight. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this because I'm going up back up to 55. Um, I don't have as big of a cut, but I've, I've been able to allow my body to adjust to a, a heavier weight class too, having um, two years off. So, yeah, that, that's great to hear. Now, I, I want to go back to something you said. You said you fought, you know, amateur back when you were in high school, before you were legally even able to fight. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. You've got one of the more crazy amateur records I've ever seen. You know, I, I've seen documented in some places you fought, you know, almost two dozen times as an amateur. Yeah. <laughs> what, what led to that crazy amount of fight? And what got you into the cage as a high school kid? Man, I, I've been scrapping for years, so just growing up, I, um, you know, just growing up as a kind of a rougher neighborhood kid, um, you know, we're fighting on a daily basis, uh, whether it's my brother or some other kids that just, you know, trying to punk you out. Um, you know, I've had well over 50 childhood, you know, street-type fights, um, not too many major ones, but the major ones I've really, you know, had to reevaluate my life and change things, and grow up but um you know i started boxing at 14 and i always wanted to get into it and you know obviously inspired by some of the the championship type movies and i you know i wanted to one to uh wanted to be a champ and i enjoy it you know it's something i enjoy doing that's you know i i can't say that for all the fighters i um you know not every, not everyone enjoys what we're doing you know it's it's cool to get in there and, and win and be victorious but putting in the work day in, day out, years on end, um, you know, if you're not passionate about it, you're, you're not going to do it to your, your, to your fullest. For, for sure. Now I, I gotta ask too, so you get into fighting that early, you take that many fights, which is crazy to begin with. Well, it's not legal for you to be fighting at that age. How, how did you manage to get yourself in a cage with it not being legal? <laughs> well, I'm not going to give you any names, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I knew some of the guys and, uh, you know, they, they knew where I was at. I'd been training for years and, um, you know, competing against grown men at the time, just, be, you know, being a high school kid, but, you know, I was essentially a young man and, um, you know, they knew where I stood, I think, and, and, uh, were okay with it. I had a couple tough ones. I think one of them, I mean, I was like 17 and I fought a, a 32 or 34 year old. And, um, there's quite a few 30 year olds, um, that I fought, you know, just in, as a high schooler. Oh, man, that, that, that's pretty crazy. Now, I, I'm going to follow up on that, too, because, you know, you said a couple of people snuck you in to get you into those fights, and obviously you're not going to give us names, but how, how aware of, of this was your family? Did, did your family know that you were, <laughs> you were sneaking away and yeah. fighting 30-year-old men in a cage? Yeah. Um, well, luckily, my first one, is kind of funny, my first one I took on just a couple hours' notice, and I left. Um, I actually left my job at Staples. I was working in the furniture department, left the job at Staples and my now wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, Jenny, um, I called her up and she brought my gear and took me to the show. And, um, I ran into my uncle there, my uncle Mickey, and he's, he's done some training with me over the years and helped me out. And I, I didn't even have time to call anyone and tell them, Hey, I'm fighting. I just, I went there. I knew there were going to be people that um, would corner me or that I could trust and, and just throw me some water or something. And, uh, he's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm fine. 
I had my still had my shirt tucked in, Staples uniform, you know, and <laughs> go go to the restroom and the you know handicap bigger stall. I changed real quick. They're like, you're up, you know, you're up soon. I I did a couple hamstring stretches and went in there. And in between rounds, we didn't even have water. My my uncle looked over to a friend, you know, it's a local show. Hey, give me your water. Tossed it over the cage and I got a swig of water and I uh, finished the guy in the second round. His corner threw in the towel. That's one of my favorite uh, debut stories of all time. And, of course, I have so many questions to follow up on that. You said you left your job at Staples. Did you finish the shift, or is this something where you left early? No, I, I, I got permission to leave early, but I was I was, prepa- I was prepared. I, um, I was prepared just to walk out. <laughs> I mean, I, I got 100 bucks for the for the fight. So I was like, oh, you know, at the time, oh, a hundred bucks. And that was what kind of pushed me to get my, get my fighting career going. I was wanting to do it, but it was just like, okay, you know, eventually I'm going to turn 18 and, and then we'll, we'll start doing it. And, but uh, shortly after I turned 17, he hit me up last minute, last minute, uh, fill in. Man, I, I love that story. That's, that's one of the greatest stories ever. Now, (laughs) one more Staples related question, because I can't let this go. You go All back right. to work at Staples after this. I'm assuming there's damage in some way, shape, or form on you. Did Did anybody ask you what what happened? Why you missed the end of your shift and apparently are covered in bruises? No, you know I don't think I had any bruises at the time, but there's plenty of other times where I come in with bruises from training, and uh, so you know they knew. And um, I guess a thing that kind of stood out to a lot of people, you know, I'm. Um, Obviously, you know, I, I try to be a, a great, you know, nice person and I've, I'm very, very friendly with people, but there's like, you know, how, how can you go in there and beat the shit out of someone <laughs> and then come in here and be so nice? <laughs> like, oh, you know, it's just a different thing. Time and a place. I love it. Well, the time and the place you got coming up is Carlton minus at UFC Vegas 17 on December 19th. So I want to talk a little bit about that fight too. So you're fighting Carlton minus. He's a guy. You know, he's made his UFC debut, but he's kind of, you know, a little bit newer to the scene. You're obviously just looking to get back in there, but what were your thoughts sort of when they offered you that fight? And, you know, was it just elation to finally get, you know, a name and a date? Or, you know, were you thinking, you know, I fought some a little bit better guys than this guy and was thinking a little bit higher? No, you know, I'm going back up to 155. Um, He's coming down. He's ten and two. And he spot a couple of good guys. He did lose his debut. Um, good, good boxer, um, you know. And he's, you know, probably the, one of the top top prospect guys out of Alaska. Um, and I think I'm actually the only UFC fighter that's training in the state of Iowa right now. I know there's other UFC fighters from Iowa, but I'm here training in Iowa. Um, yeah, I, I fought higher ranked people and. But, you know, two years layoff, I'm, I'm excited just to get back in there with whoever it is. For sure, for sure. And, and you mentioned training in Iowa, too. I know you've trained at a bunch of different places. You've certainly moved around. What what settled you in Iowa? What settled you in the, this gym now? Well, we, um, we, we had a home here for a little while, and I renovated it. And, um, you know, ultimately we wanted to come back here and be closer to family. Um, and we actually have a, a new addition to our family coming. So it works out great. Um, we're expecting our first child early May or early uh, February uh, boy. Uh, we have a boy on the way. 
Well, congratulations on that. That obviously <laughs> brings a whole new level of motivation to the fight game, too. Yeah. For yeah. sure. For sure. So uh, let me give you one more question before I let you go here. You're, you're fighting Carlton Minus December 19th, UFC Vegas 17. How do you see this one ending? I want to finish him. I'm, I'm hunting for a finish. Um, I don't care how. I haven't had a finish in my last seven fights, so I've, which is kind of odd for my career. I'm usually finishing guys, and I'm going to go out there and, and be cool, calm, and collected and, and get it done. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. And once again, fans, this was Rick Glenn, who fights Carlton Minus at UFC Vegas 17. Rick, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Rick Glenn in the one before with Alex Morano. I, of course, once again, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we're going to start right here. That main event, absolutely insane, but I want to know... How did you score that on your judges' scorecard? Wow, wow, we were putting me on the spot. Now, of course, I was scoring it live. Was I drunk at the time? Maybe a little. I don't know. So take this with a grain of alcohol. Uh, I had it as either Figueredo or a draw. I'm not one of these people that's, like, mad about the outcome per se. I think... If I'm not mistaken, I gave Figueredo one, without a doubt. I gave Marino four, without a doubt. And then I can kind of see arguments either way for two, three, five, three. Everyone scored a draw. I might lean that on Marino, which would probably actually put it back in Marino. But I go by, you got to really beat the champion. I'm not unhappy with saying Figueredo won. I'm happy he kept his title on the whole outcome. So I guess I'm giving you the most wishy-washy answer. I was probably a draw as well. What about you? Yeah, I had I had uh, Moreno probably winning two and four. I gave him two probably yeah. because of the takedowns. The takedowns just made that one kind of close for me. Um, and then if you go back and look, yeah, I, I think Figueredo, despite the fact that he got that foul, does get the, the draw round in round three because he would have won that 10-9, so it becomes a 9-9. So I saw it as a draw, too. I wouldn't hate it if you gave Figueredo round two. But you're right, definitely one in four, you know, in opposite directions. Two, three, five are all kind of close. But I think I gave um, uh, three and five to Figueredo and, and two to Moreno. The good news is, and you said you're not mad about the draw. You're glad he retains the title. I'm actually happy about the draw because right now, if that fight wasn't to just get run back, which I, I want to see it again, it was super exciting if that fight weren't to just get run back, what are we getting? We're getting maybe Cody Garbrand coming down to the division to try to take the title and then never fight at flyweight again. Like, I don't need to see that. I would much rather another flyweight contender emerge themselves or, you know, Cody Garbrand gets frustrated with that and stays up at Bantamweight. Like, I think the ultimate outcome of this happening as a draw winds up being really beneficial to fans of the flyweight division, which, you know, I am. And for like the, the purity of that division too. You know, two things off of that. And I agree with everything you just said. I don't want to see Cody come down and defend, maybe never win it and just have one of those awful situations again, never have to pressure the UFC to run back an exciting fight. So that's happening. And I think we're all excited about that. You mentioned about giving Marino that round because of the takedowns, and I don't want to go 
balls deep on it right now or dive deep on it. Maybe it's a subject for a week where there are no UFC fights to get to. But as a grappling guy, I've actually evolved a little bit in my scoring, and I think this is something you and I have touched upon. But if you do a takedown, and I'm not saying this is what happened to Marino, I'd have to go back and watch, but a takedown just for a takedown to score points, I'm actually souring on now. I think if you score a takedown but no damage is inflicted, I mean, I'm going to then again weigh octagon control and damage more than I am, oh, he scored a takedown. Like, what does that really mean if it equals nothing? And I, that's something I never would have said three years ago. Yeah, I think th- the, the idea has come around to it, and it, some of it's, too, that people are just, like, more up on what the judging criteria actually is. But a, a takedown without damage... I, you know, is an effective grappling per se, right? Instead, it is cage control, right? Like, you would consider that octagon control. You would consider it the same thing as pressing a guy up against the side of the cage and not throwing any knees or punches while he's up against it. So, if that's the case, yes. I, and I, I would have to go back and, and watch for sure to see how much damage he'd done uh, in that second round. But I think he had done enough of it. Um, again, you know, uh, th- this is thinking back. I only watched it once live so far, so... Um, yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. And I think, too, you know, if you've listened to Ben Cartledge in his interview with uh, Sean Sheehan on Severe MMA, they, they did a really good thing about breaking down how judges score it. And, and Ben Cartledge, obviously a guy who scores fights for the UFC and for a bunch of athletic commissions. So it's kind of interesting. He, he has that same take in the, in the way that when you read the rules, that the takedown just for spamming a takedown used to be seen at least by a lot of fans, maybe not even by the rules, but by a lot of fans as something that wins you around. And it's, it's just not anymore. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's definitely an interesting piece. And it obviously weighs heavily into that play. Yeah. That's something we're going to have to explore for another time because we just are so loaded with the last UFC card of the year. And we have to get to our favorite segment on the show, fights, dogs, parlays. We're going to break down a few fights give you the gambling odds, give you a couple of parlays to play, and, of course, our dog of the week. But before we get to it, Gumby, I have to ask, does anyone sponsor this segment of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it does not matter. They've got over 30 martial arts where you can log techniques and keep your training log right there on the app. So you never have to worry about losing it or having it in a sweat-covered journal. And now you can try The Peak, uh, which is the ad-free version of Maroon Social for free on the house. Just plug in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA and you can get that whole ordeal for free. Once again, that's TOPTURTLEMMA. Maroon Social brings you fights, dogs, and parlays. All right, we will start in our main event, as we are known to do. And I have to tell you, whenever Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is fighting, I don't view Wonderboy as a future uh, title holder. That ship has sort of sailed for me. But if I could give a wrestling analogy, the Undertaker, for the majority of his later career, was looked at as a special attraction. You didn't need to give him the title, but he could main event any pay-per-view anywhere in the world. I look at Stephen Wonderboy Thompson much like I look at The Undertaker. His fights are always going to be entertaining because his style is so funky. We don't see him that often most recently. I love a Stephen Wonderboy Thompson main event, and I know title implications, 
eh, I'm not really thrilled by him winning, you know, getting a title shot per se. Now on the other end of the octagon, Jeff Neal is on a tear and he could certainly put himself in the title uh, picture, but it just goes to show you Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, one of the more, I don't want to say he's underrated because we all rate him very highly, but he has been such a consummate entertaining fighter these last few years. And that's even with a little bumps and bruises along the way, because after beating Jorge Masvidal in November of 2017 at UFC 217 in Madison Square Garden, it was only three rounds. He won by decision. Look at the career trajectory of him and Jorge since that fight. Thompson won that fight. Masvidal lost, but he went on to become almost a household name with the knockout of Ben Askren and then fighting for the BMF title. LOL, what a fucking shit show that was. But all being said, Thompson then went and lost to Darren Till, the unanimous decision, and got KO'd with that crazy Superman punch by Anthony Pettis. But he came back last year in November 2019 and beat Vicente Luke by unanimous decision. So trying to put together a win streak against Jeff Neal. But I'll tell you what, Jeff Neal is on a fucking rampage since losing to Kevin Holland in extreme knockout 34 back in 2017 including a win against Bilal Williams in LFA 16 and beating Chase Walden in his Dana White Contender Series debut. He's undefeated in the UFC. So on a seven-fight win streak, had to do the math in my head, seven-fight win streak if you include Dana White Contender Series, he's 6-0 and in the UFC, take out Dana White Contender Series. He's 5-0 and in the UFC, just TKO'd Mike Perry, TKO'd Nico Price, wins over Bilal Muhammad, Frank Camacho, uh, and Brian Camozzi, and that was with a rear naked choke. So he's doing it both with his fists. He has submissions. Jeff Neal is on a rampage. He's only a plus 105. Thompson, a minus 115 favorite. Odds are so close here. Who you got? So uh, it, it's a tough one, and I'm so glad you talked about the fact that we can just throw Wonder Boy in any main event if we really want to, because I, I definitely agree with that, and I think, too, the interesting thing about him is that He's such a weird style matchup. It's what makes his fight so hard to predict is that, like, nobody fights like Wonder Boy, right? Like, there, there's other karate stylists, but nobody is quite the karate stylist like he is. I, I still think I'm going to take Jeff Neal, though. Um, the up-and-comer kind of guy, he, he's got really good power in his hands. We've seen it time and time again. You know, he knocked out Nico Price, who's, like, a notoriously hard dude to knock out, right? Like... Nico Price went toe-to-toe with Vicente Luque and didn't get KO'd. Uh, you know, he, he knocked out Mike Perry in a minute and a half. Mike Perry is a guy who absolutely goes into war every single time he fights. So add that in with the fact that I do think there's probably a grappling advantage here for, for Jeff Neal. And that I think Jeff Neal is the right type of person to pressure Wonderboy into fighting a little bit dirtier of a fight rather than, you know, like a spaced out, he gets to pick his shots kind of fight. But I, I will tell you that there's a reason the odds of this are coin flip on this one. I just have no clue how a fight between somebody who hasn't fought the top of the division and somebody who's fought only the top of the division and is a weird style matchup for everybody plays out. But I'm officially going to go with Jeff Neal. Yeah, I sort of like where your head is at, and you never really know how someone's going to match up against Stephen Thompson. I will say I have two factors. You know, Pettis is a... Uh, if you want to call it a karate, taekwondo background. So he matched up somewhat well against uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He was not thrown off by the side stance, et cetera. 
Jeff Neal, uh, Jeff Neal not coming from the arts back. He might be a little freak. Yeah, probably in Wonder Boy, but I like everything you outlined, and I could see myself picking Neil the day of and not feeling bad about it. But it's a close fight, and that's what makes it great. We'll move on. Jose Aldo is a minus 165 favorite to Marvera, a plus 145 dog. Isn't it funny? Losses to Marlon Moraes and Peter Jan. Lost to Volkanovski before that back at 145. So he's on a three-fight losing streak. Isn't it funny that, you know, he had the title shot off a two-fight losing streak, and he's going to be Cheeto Vera, who just beat Sean O'Malley via TKO. This guy's, uh, he, if it's a dog fight, I love Cheeto Vera. Look at it. It is 5-1 and one in the UFC with the one loss to Song Yidong, but he's a, one, uh, he's a 145 dog here. Any reason to take him? Who are you taking? I actually think I am going to take Marwin Vera in this fight. Um, I'm a little bit worried about how well Jose Aldo is, is holding up. You know, like you mentioned the three losses in a row. They're obviously all the killers, but I, I just don't know that he's going to do well against somebody who's got the size of Marwin Vera, who's got a little bit of grappling on his side probably, and who probably is going to walk through any amount of leg kicks that Aldo throws. And granted, he's throwing less in his advanced age, but he's probably going to walk through them and try to land something while he's he's taking those shots um, and punish Jose Aldo for throwing them and, and probably ultimately deter him from it. You know, I, I just see Aldo as kind of a shell of himself. And for that reason, I'm leading the newcomer again, you know, going newcomer two fights in a row here over the, the established veteran. But yeah, I think I like Cheeto Vera in this one. Uh, it is, again, a very tough one to, to pick. Um, and I think it's probably, you know, if, if you're looking to just make a straight-up pick and not a gambling pick, this is probably a coin flip. But especially if I'm gambling on this one, you you got to like the plus money on Vera. You know, I love looking at, I guess, career trajectories or little uh, paths that a fighter takes in his career. And it's so interesting to look at Marlon Moraes' four-fight win streak with huge wins. I mean, huge wins over John Dotson, Aljamain Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, Rafael Sansal, and then ran into the buzzsaw that is Henry Cejudo for the vacant bantamweight uh, title back in June of 2019. Comes back, beats Jose Aldo via split decision, and then loses to Corey Sanhagen via spinning wheel kick. So he's one and two in his last three, but preceding that was that four-fight win streak. In my books, he's still the tops of the division. Uh, trying to right the ship here, he is a 155 favorite and facing Rob Font, who has some power in his hands. He's on a two-fight win streak, both unanimous decision wins. He too, he actually lost to Rafa Sunsal uh, and beat Thomas Almeida before that via TKO. So he is three and one in his last four, dating back the last two years. Uh, and if I didn't mention it, maybe I did. He's a plus 135 dog. Who you got? I'm going to go with the favorite in this one. You know, I, I took the, the up-and-comer taking out the established veteran in the first two fights, but I'm not going to do it here. And some of the reason is, is if you look at Rob Font every time he's taken a big step forward, he's earned all of those big steps forward, but every time he's taken a big step forward, it's not gone well for him, right? Like he beat George Roop and, and, and Joey Gomez, which is awesome. Those are great wins. He steps up, fights John Lineker, gets beat. Beat Matt Schnell and Douglas Andrade. Again, decent wins. Steps up, pay, faces Pedro Munoz. Knocked back down to, you know, the outer skirts of the top 15. Beats Thomas Almeida, who, again, used to be a killer. Maybe not so much anymore. Steps up and fights a Sun Sao. Same thing. Pushed back to where he belongs. 
and, and it's sort of, you know, silly to just write him off that way and maybe not talk about this stylistically. But I just think when we talk about Rob Font being a guy who's ranked between, you know, 11 and 13, I think that that's kind of the ceiling for him, that the, like, top 10 guys are always going to beat him. And whether or not you're writing off Marlon Marias yet because of those losses, I think that's maybe a little bit premature. Remember, he's a guy who absolutely tagged a sunsaw on the feet and then choked him out. He knocked out Aljamain Sterling with a knee. He brutalized Jimmy Rivera in 30 seconds. So I still think that Marlon Marias exists in there. And I think that that Marlon Marias is too much for Rob Font. I agree with you 100%. I too will be leaning Marias on this. Our underdog of the week. It's our boy, Chaos Williams. He's only a plus 105 and he's facing the insane flippy floppy Michael Pieria. This is such a great match of two up-and-coming fighters who have really been highlight reel worthy. Uh, Pieria in just the way he goes about his fight business. Uh, and Chaos Williams obviously had that massive gal got replayed a billion times across sports center, social media, and uh, had a really nice performance of last time out showing that power. This is a fighter to watch. He's just a plus 105 dog here. Talk about why we like him as just the slightest of slight dogs. So I like him in this fight because... Pereiro, despite the fact that he does all the flippy things and moves around and is crazy, he gets hit enough, you know? And, and Chaos Williams is a guy who isn't afraid to throw some punches like a lot of Pereira's opponents have been. And if he hits you, it is thunderous, okay? So for that reason, I, I just think he's not going to be able to take multiple punches from Chaos Williams because Chaos Williams throws from his ass all the time. So with that being said, I really like Chaos Williams in this one to land the knockout blow. I know he's only a very, very, very slight dog in this one at plus 105. By the time you're listening to it, he may have even crossed over. But at this point in time, he's an underdog. And with all the other bigger underdogs I gave you, like Marwin Vera earlier, I decided I could go a little bit closer on this one. So I'm going with Chaos Williams over Michael Pereira. Our parlay to play this week, Antonio Arroyo, a minus-150 favorite. Pair him together with Jimmy Flick, a minus-150 favorite as well. It's going to get you plus-180 odds. So pair the two together, both pretty good favorites, but it gets you plus-180 odds, breaker down. So I like Antonio Arroyo against Darren Wynn in here for a really clear reason. Darren Wynn had a lot of trouble with the size and length of Gerald Mearshart in his last fight, and a little bit with the grappling of Gerald Mearshart and... He's fighting a guy now who is just as tall, just as long, just as lanky, and maybe stronger than Gerald Mearshart. Plus, this fight takes place at 195 pounds, a catchweight fight. Darren Wynn is literally 5'6". This dude is fighting almost at light heavyweight at 5'6". That means he's Matt Serra's height, and he's going to be fighting a dude who's like 6'3". So, I just don't see any way that Darren Wynn gets on the inside of Arroyo here and he's able to use his wrestling. So I think that's an easy one to pick. I also don't like Cody Durden in this fight because Cody Durden had never made it to 125 pounds. And now he's doing it two times in three weeks because this fight was canceled two weeks ago due to Durden picking up pink eye during fight week. So he's gone through that weight cut twice now, which is probably not good for his body. He already had questionable cardio and he's going up against an absolute workhorse who has crazy submission skills in Jimmy Flick. Um, highly entertaining match I think it'll be, but ultimately I think Flick is an easy pick here. So pair those two together, get plus 180. You will not be sorry. 
You will not be sorry when you listen to our advice. Uh, I think we did people pretty good this year on fights, dogs, and parlays, and we'll be back in a big way in 2021. If you want to spread some Christmas cheer, if we've provided some entertainment, if we've provided some good advice, please go on over to iTunes, hit the old subscribe button, leave a review. It keeps the lights on in the Top Turtle Podcast Studio. Uh, And the last thing I will say is this is the last fights of the week, so enjoy the fuck out of them. What a crazy year it's been, but we got some awesome bangers of a fights. I mean, if you're a fight fan in 2020, you did not suffer as much as if you were an NBA, NFL, MLB fan. Those leagues got wrecked. Mad props to Dana White and the boys for keeping the ship going. Uh, it was a really good year of fights, and I hope everyone enjoys these fights to end the year. Gumby, wrap this bad boy up. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We wouldn't have this show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, ProPay Sports Metrics, and of course, Respect the Tap. And as well, we'd like to thank the mothership, GlowCombat.com. We love that we are able to get it out to all of you guys listening there. And we want to remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at TopTurtleMMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby-Vreeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll see you then.